we all have our comfort zones, don't we? And we know what it's like to be pushed out of our comfort zones. Our comfort zones are usually just those safe places, maybe at home with our family, with people we know, our jobs, just kind of our daily routines. And every once in a while, a situation comes, or maybe you enter into a different culture or something, and you're just kind of pushed right outside of your comfort zone. I know for me, it, it, it usually happens when I'm kind of traveling around or in different, different places that just aren't my norm. I've spent, as some of you know, a, a decent amount of time in rural Montana, partnering with some churches there and help, helping them out a little bit and, and them being a blessing to me. And, you know, rural Montana is quite a bit different than Hampton Roads, Virginia, or Seattle, or Dallas, or Orlando, other places I've lived. Uh, one of the things, whenever I'm in uh, rural Montana kind of talking to those pastors there, I always kind of bring up hunting because they love to talk about hunting. I mean, they, they hunt to live, really. If they don't get a deer that year, they don't have meat. And so, you know, we're just talking about, about hunting, and I'm asking questions. And so on one particular occasion, I'm asking them questions about hunting and how the season go and how, how big was the animal they got and all this kind of stuff. And and as we're talking, one guy tells me that he got a new gun this year, and he's all excited about it. And I know nothing about guns, okay? I mean, the only gun that I've ever held is like a Nerf gun. And, and he runs to his truck and says, you've got to see this new gun that I've got. And I said, oh, yeah, great. I'd love to see it. And so he goes, and he grabs it, and he comes over, and he brings this, I guess it was some kind of shotgun, and he hands it to me, and he says, check it out. I mean, I don't know what I'm looking for. I guess it's really good. And I'm looking, I'm like, well, this is really amazing. And, and as I'm kind of looking at it, I point the barrel up at him. <laughs> I know. I, I see some of you just shaking your heads, cringing. It was a bad moment. And someone else runs over and he pushes the gun. I was like, are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, he said something about city folk in there. I don't know. But anyway, another mission trip in uh, Sierra Leone. My first time over to Sierra Leone, Africa, was sleeping. And, you know, the sleeping arrangements there, you're, you're just on these um, air mattresses that go flat after about an hour in a really hot, just like heat box almost. I mean, there's an oscillating fan in the room, and so you get like a split second of relief. You know, the temperature just drops for a moment from 120 to like 115. And... And so I'm there, and, you know, by the, by the end of the week, you know, nobody's smelling too good, right? I mean, the, the shower, you're taking a shower with this well water that's dirty, so they say, hey, don't let it get in your eyes and let it get in your mouth. Be really careful. One guy didn't follow those directions too well, and he got some kind of stomach bug, and I think he threw up everything he'd eaten for like the last month and a half or so. And... Anyway, I, I'm there, and I'm, I'm on, the way, on the way home, actually, I'm flying back. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that guy sitting next to me, he smells really bad. And then at one point during the flight, he got up to use the bathroom, and I realized that that guy was me. <laughs> so I wasn't smelling too good, okay? And we're, we're there, and I'm kind of training these pastors about baptism, and they're doing a baptism conference at the end of the week and training all of their churches on baptism. And so we're there at the conference, and they invite me, like, because I was a pastor from America, hey, you can sit in the seat of honor up on the stage by a window. 
And I said, well, where's everybody else going to sit? And I said, well, they're all sitting down there in the, in the congregation, you know, we're in, on the pews. And I said, well, you know, then I'll just sit down there with them. I'm not, you know, I, I'm just like one of them. I don't, I don't need any kind of special treatment. And they said, are you sure, Pastor? Like, you should have the seat of honor. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll be down there with them, with everybody else. And so I sit on one of these really uncomfortable pews, and this lady comes up and sits next to me. And, and when I say next to me, I mean she just presses herself like right up against me. And I'm looking over the whole room like, hey, there's plenty of room here. We, let, we can leave a little room for Jesus. <laughs> and then a young boy, he comes on the other side and he sits just as close. And before I know it, like half of the room has just like huddled into this one spot and they're doing their baptism conference, and I have no idea what they said because I was so far out of my comfort zone. I could feel the drips of sweat just pouring off my forehead, and I've got no way to, like, lift my arm up and wipe anything away. So I don't know what they said. I trust it was good. But, you know, we, we've all had experiences where we're just kind of thrust outside of our comfort zone outside of our norm, and we might lose track of the situation and what's going on because we just get consumed with, with where we're at. You know, this morning, as we've been kind of following along through this blueprints of a healthy church, and we've kind of followed the church. Last week, we saw the church and, and how they're persecuted, and the people are going into the church. You've got Paul, who was at that time Saul, running in with, with others, and they're pulling Christians out of their homes and imprisoning them, and all the Christians are forced to leave. They're forced to scatter throughout all of Judea and into Samaria. They're ripped from everything they know now to something new, something different. And so as, you know, as we continue to study that, and we've looked at the blueprints of a healthy church, we see that God's going to empower his church so that it will be a church able to withstand any kind of threat against it. Any internal threat like Ananias and Sapphira, any external threat like the Sanhedrin or people coming after them. It's a church able to, to withstand interrogations and beatings and floggings and threats and imprisonments and all kinds of persecution. That God has designed his church to be able to step outside of her comfort zone to do things that she never would have dreamt she was able to do. That they would, they would be able to go places that they never thought they would ever go to, travel to, things beyond their wildest imagination. And so for the first two years, the, the church has just experienced life in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. But now the persecution is so intense that all that's about to change because they've got to go elsewhere. And so we'll see it this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 will begin in verses 4 through 8. Acts 8 beginning in verses 4 through 8. Last week we left off with Stephen being stoned to death, being martyred and and the church just being taken away from everything they know. Christians forced to scatter all over Judea and in, even into Samaria. And as the church scatters, remember this. This is really important as we study through the book of Acts. That the church is not a building. The, the church is not programs or events. The church is not an organization or an affiliation. The church is people. 
that, that we are the church. It is a living organism. We don't simply go to church. We are the church. And so some, even in the early days of the church, they, they took this reality a little bit too far. They said, hey, since I'm the church, I don't really need to go to church and gather with others who are the church. I can just kind of do my own thing. And so the author of Hebrews, he writes about this and he says, hey, don't give up this practice of gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. In these days, it's so important that we got to gather together all the more to be encouraging one another that we continue to live out our faith so that we function as the God has designed his church to function. And if that was true in the days of when the author of Hebrews was writing, I think it's so much more true today. And so the, the early church in the book of Acts, they, they continued to look for reasons to gather together. I mean, you go through and you look at it, and they're meeting together in each other's homes. They're gathering in buildings. The church in Jerusalem was always getting together, trying to find time. Hey, let's get together. We, not, we need to encourage one another as we're facing all this persecution and then scattered out to live our faith. Uh, this uh, past week, I was at a conference with Pastor Donnie and Pastor Brian and we heard um, Tom Rayner, Dr. Dr. Rayner, and uh, we've just finished going through his study, Welcome Home, on Wednesday nights. And as we're there and, and kind of listening, he, he mentioned that in America, that um, about 10 years ago or so, that a healthy church member, what the church considered someone to be a healthy church member, if they attended church two to three times a week. But in the last 10 years, that's changed. And now a healthy church member is someone who attends church two to three times a month. So the, the whole paradigm has kind of shifted. See, somewhere along the line, the leadership in the church has kind of lowered the bar of gathering together. And the importance of this meeting has kind of been lost in the church. And somewhere along the line, like the, the, the bar for being on sports teams has gone way up. I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid and how many practices we had, used to have, and now I've got kids, and they're like, well, they want them there like three, four, five, six times a week. Thinking, this is crazy. They, they, there's, the bar for being on sports teams is here, and somehow in our culture, the bar for being a healthy church member has gone down way lower. But anyway, in, in this situation, you got, you got a church who's committed to gathering together and encouraging one another, and being empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And God's going to use this persecution to scatter his church as missionaries. So let's, let's check it out as this church in Jerusalem scatters. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds, with one accord, pay at paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. As you consider, just for a moment, the, the persecution that this early church faced, you know, floggings, threats, imprisonments, the stoning of, of Stephen, um, being ripped from your home. Uh, this level of persecution, it really could have smothered the flame of Christianity. 
Instead, though, it, it was like pouring gasoline on a fire. This, this suffering just fueled this explosion of, of, a, of a dynamic evangelism that, that would go now to take place in Judea and into Samaria. The, the church is, is they're forced to leave everything they've ever known. As their friends are being unjustly imprisoned, as society is kind of turned against them, and they don't even know where they're going to be spending the night that night or where their next meal's coming from. I mean, these must have been brutal times, must have been really hard times. But as all this is going on, as they're living in these times, did you catch it? The Bible says that as they're scattered, they went about preaching the word. That with all this going on in their lives, they went about preaching the good news of Jesus. See, Jesus had already had this plan in mind before. We, we read it in Acts 1.8. The, the, hey, the plan was, hey, we're going to start this thing in Jerusalem. And then we're going to spread to all of Judea and even into Samaria and then to the remotest parts of the earth. And now God is using this persecution just to make that happen because God has a heart for the whole world. And now it's time for the church just to be able to expand her circle of influence. Persecution would become that splash in the pond that just rippled the gospel outward. And here's what, here's what happened. Here's the point in a healthy church. Persecution produces a clarity of mission. When the flame gets turned up, when the heat gets turned on, persecution produces clarity of mission. You remember when we looked at it a few weeks ago, the apostles, how they're rejoicing when they suffered, when they were persecuted, and they leave after being flogged, just rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I imagine that these apostles, that they would have prepared this church, that they would have told this church, that they would have had the people in Jerusalem, this church in Jerusalem, prepared for some dark days for some hard times, for some real persecution. And so when the persecution came, I don't think this church was surprised. I don't, I don't think they were caught off guard, like, oh, man, I can't believe they're doing this to us. No, they, they had already heard it. They had already seen it from their leaders. This wasn't a shock. This wasn't a surprise. I think the teaching just kind of flooded their minds, and they're saying to one another, hey, this is what they told us was going to happen. They told us that we were going to be persecuted. You know, Jesus promised this to us. Now we get to live it. And just like the apostles got to suffer for Jesus, now we get to suffer for Jesus. This is such an honor that he would count us worthy to suffer in the same likeness that he suffered. This is amazing. We're living the promises of Jesus. I, I think this was their mindset. And then they go out and they just share the gospel. They don't know where they're going to sleep that night. But they're sharing the gospel where they go. You know, today in America... Persecution to the point of being stoned to death, persecution to the point of being ripped from your home and imprisoned, no, that's not something we really face. You know, it, it's much easier being a Christian in modern-day America than it would have been in first-century Jerusalem, second-century Rome, in one sense. But in another sense, we have a problem that is more like the issue that the Galatians faced, really, if we were to study through the book of Galatians. And it's that we have this issue where we can just kind of blend in with our culture. The, 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 the problem is, is not that we're being persecuted to the point of, hey, we, we're risking our lives here for the gospel. It's that, hey, we just get comfortable. 
This is home. I mean, there's no risk here. There's no threat here. This, I, I can just live, enjoy my life. Go see nice things, have a nice house, drive a nice car. You know, just have a good job, have good friends. I can just be comfortable here. This is home. But God has left us here to be his ambassadors. He's called us his ambassadors. Home doesn't need an ambassador. Ambassadors are sent to foreign lands. God has left us here in a foreign land to be his ambassador. But sometimes we can get the mindset that this is home. And home doesn't need an ambassador. And there's another objection that, that sometimes comes too. And it's this idea, well, I'm so busy, you know. I mean, life's so busy and so hectic and so crazy and so much stuff going on. I mean, I just forget. I don't even think about sharing the gospel. I've got all these things, places to be, people to see. I don't know that I have time for that. It's true. We live busy lives. But, but you know, one thing that I think is also true is that you just make time for things that are important to you. That things that are really important to you, you just make time for it. I mean, I haven't watched. I don't know if any of you have watched any of the World Series. I haven't seen any of it. But I can tell you one thing. If the Yankees were playing in the World Series, I would have squeezed in a few innings, I can tell you, just because I like the Yankees. And so I would have made it happen. But it's the Red Sox, and I, I don't want to see them win. We make time for things that are important to us. It, it's not that the church is too busy to gather on Sundays or too busy to share the gospel during the week. It's that sometimes the church in America is just too comfortable. Just living life, that this is home. Central is a church that's going to have a remarkable impact on our community. I firmly believe that. But, but we're going to have that impact because we are going to be a church of people who are focused on our mission. This church in Acts, they're forced to leave their homes. They're forced to leave everything they, they know. They're, they're ripped from it. And they see others, neighbors, people they've gone to church with, and they see them being in prison, Stephen being stoned. And yet as they go... They're sharing the gospel. I'm sure for those people, life was plenty busy. Life was plenty chaotic, plenty crazy. But they so value what they're doing, and they know as the heat get turned up, this is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. This is what he said was going to happen. Let's share the gospel. And more people, they're coming to know Jesus and God's plan. It's coming to fruition. It's now going into all of Judea, into Samaria. And this happened because of the presence of persecution. And it forced the, the disciples to scatter, the apostles, the church, to scatter even further. And it produced this clarity of mission, just this reminder, hey, this is what we're about. One of the members of the church who was forced to leave was a man named Philip. Philip, you may remember him from a couple weeks ago. Philip, along with Stephen, he was chosen to be one of the deacons in the church. Again, he's just a lay leader. He's, he's a faithful man who set this example for serving. He's not on the highest rung of leadership in the church. He's, he's not one of the apostles. He's not one in Jerusalem who was up preaching every week. He's just a faithful servant, loves God, and as he's going... 
he's sharing the gospel. He ends up in Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, and crowds are coming to faith, and people are being discipled, and this produces great joy in the streets of Samaria. And then this pure joy in Samaria, it's contrast also with this phony show that's taking place. We don't have time really to, to read through all of it, but, but if you were to continue reading in Acts chapter 8, you see that there's another man in Samaria who's doing some signs and wonders as well. He's practicing witchcraft. His name is Simon. Simon, he's basically running a circus there, and he's calling himself God. And It's interesting. Philip is proclaiming Christ. Simon is proclaiming himself. See, phony faith often does that. If you want to check out the quality of a ministry, just see who they're proclaiming. If the top thing of who they're proclaiming is themselves, likely the ministry is no good. But, but Philip, he's proclaiming Jesus. And Simon, his demonic acts, that they just paled in comparison to what the Spirit had empowered Philip to do and the work that Philip was doing. And Simon looked at Philip, and he saw just the crowds who were coming and, and just the influence that Philip was having and the signs that Philip was doing. And Simon said, I want some of that. How do I, how do I get that? And, the, and then Simon, he professes this faith in Jesus, but this faith doesn't seem to be a genuine faith. He, it seems as if he wants the power that Philip has, but he doesn't really care about the relationship with Jesus. He just wants it for his own personal gain. And so the apostles, they come, and when they come, the Holy Spirit is then given to the saints in Jerusalem. But Simon, he doesn't get it. He, he doesn't receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because his profession wasn't a true profession of faith. And so he's saying, hey, I, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to do these signs and wonders. How much, how much do I owe you for that? I'll pay whatever the price. You just name the price. I'm happy to fork it over. He's trying to buy God. And Peter, he's there, and he says, hey, you can't buy God. What are you thinking? It's also worth noting here that when, when the Holy Spirit shows up and is given to the saints in Samaria, there's no record here, okay, of the saints in Samaria speaking in tongues. All of the Samaritans, they would have spoken the same language. And when the Holy Spirit shows up in other times in the book of Acts, you have people speaking in tongues. We saw it earlier in Acts chapter 2. But it's always for evangelistic purposes. And so there's no reason for evangelism here. All these people are speaking the same language. So there's no record of speaking in tongues here. Anyhow, Peter, he, he perceives Simon's false faith. And he says, hey, you know, may your silver perish with you because you're in this bondage of sin right now if you don't repent. And Simon, he, did, he didn't repent. He said, hey, will you just pray for me that what you've said doesn't happen? Because I don't want to die and I don't want to lose all my money. Persecution. As difficult as it was for the church to endure, it was God's tool to separate the pure from the phony in the church. He used it to do that, and God used persecution to push the gospel message farther out from Jerusalem into all of Judea, into Samaria. As Christians were being chased and tormented, they took Christ's flame with them into new lands. And this is what's happening in the church. If you're going through any kind of suffering right now, if you're experiencing those trials of many kinds, I pray that it produces in you just a clarity of what life is all about. 
of, of who God has called you to be. Not, not this phony, self-absorbed show that Simon's going on where life is all about him, but this pure faith of commitment to Jesus. It's evidenced by Philip. You know, when, when you apply just a little bit of persecution to your life, you're able to see like who remains, and, and the pure remain. Th- this is what happens here. The pure remain. Another thing that Dr. Rayner kind of told us at this conference this last week. By the way, Dr. Rayner, he's kind of like, if you're familiar with George Barna uh, and and the research and stuff that Barna used to do, Dr. Rayner's kind of like that. He does a lot of research for Baptists. Uh, I mean, it expands to a a lot more denominations than that, but he's a Baptist himself. And um, and Dr. Rayner, he told us that 65% of baby boomers attend church or attended church regularly, 65%. And then he contrasted that with millennials. And he said about 20% of millennials attend church regularly. And, you know, you first hear that, this is kind of a staggering drop-off. The drop-off didn't really happen with millennials. It happened much before that. But... um, but he said that one interesting thing is happening with uh, millennials in the church. And that is millennials who are in the church are committed to the church. That we're entering into this post-Christian America where cultural Christianity is dead. That, that nobody goes to church just because, hey, this feels like the right thing to do. That, that this new generation, they don't think like that. They don't, well, this seems like the right thing to do, so I'm going to show up to church. There's not this idea that, hey, I'm going to score some points by being there. This will be good. No, that those who are going to church now, they are truly committed. That they are committed Christians and that they realize, hey, the only way that I'm going to have any kind of influence on culture, the only way that I'm going to leave any kind of significant, lasting impact is through the ministry of the church. Because it's the only thing that leaves anything eternal. Everything else may be temporary, may be good for a time, but it's only the church. And if the church isn't committed to going out and just making disciples and doing something of eternal significance, then I'll find another healthy church that is. And this is the mindset of these new Christians coming up in America. And so we, and we see this same mindset demonstrated by Philip. I mean, I, I want you to see it. Let's look at it together. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, as we just continue looking at Philip's ministry. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So think about this for a second. God has been using Philip to spearhead this dynamic evangelistic movement, this crusade in Samaria. You've got just hundreds, throngs of people coming to Christ in Samaria. The people there are open to it, and and the people there, they're being discipled into mature Christ followers. I mean, the ministry there could not have been going any better. But suddenly, God steps in with just this unexpected directive. He wants Philip to leave behind this fruitful ministry, this kind of mega ministry, to go to the desert. I mean, Philip's response to to this command just illustrates, I think, some guidelines for how, how a healthy church, how a healthy disciple accomplishes the mission that God has given him. I mean, we've talked about this clarity of mission, and now we just see it playing out and what it kind of looks like in the life and ministry of Philip. Out of the blue, God tells Philip, hey, go to the desert. No reason is given. God doesn't tell Philip, hey, you're going to meet these people on the road. There's going to be this Ethiopian I want you to talk to. He doesn't say anything like that. No, no arrangements are made for his ministry in Samaria. I mean, we don't really know at least who's going to be the, be the main Preacher now, who's, who's going to head up this ministry? Who's going to see to it that all these new Christians are discipled? We don't, we don't know anything like that. All we see is this command and how tempting it must have been for Philip just to kind of like brush that feeling away, just kind of like a mosquito buzzing around your ear, just kind of swat it away. No, 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 God, I, you, 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 that can't be what you're saying. This can't be what you're asking me to do. The ministry was going so well. Samaritans are open to the gospel. Why would I leave this booming, expanding ministry? But Philip had walked with God long enough to know that God had a reason for throwing him a curveball. And so when God said, hey, I want you to go to that desert road, he just left. I mean, Philip had already learned in Jerusalem that God, in God's economy of success, that it's not a demotion to go from a place with like a bunch of people to a place with maybe one. That in God's economy of success, it's not this ministry that's on center stage that everyone's taking notice of. that, That doesn't necessarily equate to success in God's economy. No, what really matters is faithfulness, obedience, and doing what God has called you to do. Here's the point. A healthy church accomplishes her mission by being sensitive to God's call. A healthy church is sensitive to God's call. That's what clarity of mission looks like. And and Philip knew 
that in order to be an effective witness, he had to be sensitive to God's call. He had to go where God was calling him to go. And if, you, if you've walked with God faithfully for a long enough time, then you know those moments. You, you've sensed those moments where, where God is just kind of calling you and you just kind of know it that, you know, I'm supposed to go and have a conversation with that person. That I just know that as I'm talking with this person, I just know that I'm supposed to turn this conversation toward the gospel. I, I just know it. You just kind of know it sometimes. You can feel the Holy Spirit just leading you. And Philip knew, hey, if I'm going to be a, a faithful witness, if I'm going to be effective in ministry, then I've got to follow the call that God's put on me. And I know right now that he's called me to go to this desert road. I mean, who's going on a desert road? If you want to be a faithful church, a, a healthy church, then you preach the gospel to yourself. You regularly just preach the gospel to yourself. You, you study you study the Bible, you pray, you gather together, you use your gifts to serve one another. And as you're being faithful, in, in, in that faithfulness, then you just know God's leading. But it's when you just get off doing your own thing and you get too comfortable that God's leading kind of fades away because you're not a faithful people. And so Philip, in his faithfulness, he senses God's leading. He's developed that sensitivity. Sensitivity, it comes with a, a twin. The twin is named availability. There, there, there's not much good in being sensitive to God if you're not willing to be available and willing to follow God when he leads. The Bible says to know the good that you ought to do and not to do it, that that's sin. That, that when God leads us to do something and you resist and you say, I just don't think I'm good at that. I don't think I can have that conversation. I don't think I want to go there. That would be uncomfortable. That would be out of my comfort zone. God says that's sin. But Philip, he goes, he's faithful, he's, he's available, and he got up and he went into the desert on this desert road and he meets this Ethiopian eunuch in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike. And, and so... And this Ethiopian, he just happens to be sitting in a chariot reading from the scroll of Isaiah. I mean, who would have thought about it, really? You know, no one would think that, hey, out here in the middle of nowhere, there's going to be this man of influence who's trying to figure out just who God is, reading an Old Testament passage. I mean, no one could have foreseen that except God. And God knew just how receptive, just how on the edge that this man was. And so he sends Philip. A healthy church accomplishes her mission by being available to God's plan. A healthy church accomplishes her mission by being available to God's plan. Philip didn't know that the Ethiopian would be there. He, he, he didn't know. He was just going on this unexpected journey south. He was simply being available to what God had called him to do, just following the direction. And, you know, there, there's a reward for being available. For, for being faithful, for doing what God calls you to do. There, there's such moments of joy. I've never met, I've, I've trained quite a few mission teams to go and share the gospel. I've never once had anybody come back and tell me, you know, Steve, I shared the gospel with that person and I so wish I wouldn't have. I've never heard that. All I ever hear are people with huge smiles on their faces saying this was the coolest thing ever. I got to share the gospel with this person. And whether they believe or not, our call is just to be faithful. And when you're faithful, there's a joy there because you're doing that which God has created you to do. 
for me, one of the, one of the times that, that I remember just being faithful, being available, was uh, one Thanksgiving. There was an older gentleman in the church, and he was having some surgeries, and it just happened that they, they thought he was going to be released from the hospital. He wasn't, and, and so he had to spend Thanksgiving in the hospital. And so I got up early Thanksgiving morning, and Steph's in the kitchen cooking, and I just took Emma and Bree with me, and we went to the hospital and just kind of visited with him and his wife. And, you know, Emma and Bree, they were able to cheer them up much better than I could. Little kids kind of have that glow about them, you know. But I was there and just able to talk with them too and talk with their kids and be an encouragement. And, and on the way home, we talked. Just, hey, what did you learn from that? How much fun was that? Was there anything hard about that? But there was a joy. And, and, and it, was, it was one of our best Thanksgivings ever because we were doing that which God has called us to do. We're just being available to God's leading. I can think of more recent time. I mean, just the other week, it was, there was a crisis pregnancy class that was taking place. And I, I show up quite a bit early. And there's a lady there with her son, and I'm able just to have a conversation with her and, and just, just give her a little hope of Jesus and, and kind of call her back to that relationship that she's neglected for a time. And, and it happens, you know, all over. It's talking to Pastor Brian, and he had the opportunity the other week just to go and, and, uh, and speak at the Portsmouth uh, Christian, uh, Christian Chapel there. And as he's speaking at the chapel, he's able to meet people and just talk to people and get to know people and encourage people. Same thing at our school this past week. We had these fruitful events, and Mrs. Stevens and the teachers, they did such a great job of just, just showing off what these kids have learned. And I was talking to just a pair of grandparents as they were, they were leaving the school one afternoon, and just they're just beaming, and they couldn't get over the character of the school and what was taking place here. But that, that's what happens when you're just faithful and available to what God has called you to do. That you're able to impact people. Things happen when you're available, when you're sensitive to God's call and available. P Philip was available. And he followed the Holy Spirit's direction. He goes right up to the chariot and he asks a question. F Philip didn't wait for the Ethiopian to kind of lean out over his chariot and say, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. Philip just goes right over to him. He took the initiative. A healthy church accomplishes her mission by initiating conversations. Initiating conversations. You know, Philip, he was tactful in his approach. He didn't, he didn't go there like flaunting his Bible knowledge and carrying his concordance with them and everything. And hey, just what do you got for me? I'm the Bible answer man and I can answer whatever. No, it wasn't that at all. He just goes over there and tactfully he asks a question and then he listens. He just lets the Ethiopian talk. He, he, he waited for an invitation to come up in his chariot and sit down next to him and just kind of share what he knew about the scriptures. But before Philip ever really started explaining, he just took the time to listen. Just took the time to listen, but he initiated the conversations. You know, sometimes we can think that sharing the gospel with people is this unnatural act. And that when we go and we go to have a conversation with someone about the gospel, we can find ourselves acting weird or acting strange or just acting different than we usually do because we're not quite sure where to start or how to begin or what we're going to do. Philip models something really good here. He just asks a question. He just asks a question. He initiated a conversation. 
And then he just and he asks a question. And asking questions about two people kind of honors them. Hey, what are you thinking? How's life? What's going on? And as you're asking questions and you're listening and you're letting them talk, then doors will open. And you'll be able to kind of circle that conversation around to the gospel because, hey, I've got this experience in my life and it sounds kind of similar. And here's how God worked through that. Hey, do you know God? If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Well, let me tell you what I've learned. Would that be okay? And then you just go in. You know, in training mission teams, one of, one of the exercises that I often did with students was I would take an object. And I would say, okay, I want you to have a conversation about this object. Just talk about it. And they're talking about whatever it is. It could be a tree, a pen, a piece of chalk, whatever. And then at a certain time, I'd say, okay, now I want you to try to turn that conversation to the gospel. Just try it out. Just so that they get in the habit of the gospel being on the forefront of their minds. You know, if, if, if sharing the gospel is just scary for you, if it's just difficult, if that's just like way out of your comfort zone, here's what you can try this week. Just circle it into your conversation with maybe a friend, a spouse, a child. Just don't let them know what you're doing. Just have a conversation and intentionally see if I can, hey, circle this around in a loving, joyful, winsome way to the gospel. And Because I'll tell you something else. If we're not sharing the gospel with one another, chances are we'll never share it with the world. It's one of the things I've learned. If we're not sharing the gospel with each other, chances are we'll never share it with the world. Because it's not top of mind. If we're not talking about it with one another, we never talk about it with anybody else. With tact, Philip, he just asked a question. He got the man talking. He didn't interrupt him. And then as he was able, and as the doors opened, he shared the gospel. And he shared the gospel using precise language. Using precise language. A healthy church accomplishes her mission by using precise language. It takes a little bit of skill not to get rabbit trailed when sharing the gospel. Not to get caught up in, in questions about the age of the earth or the suffering in the world or, you know, the reality of evil or whatever objections people may have. Hey, tell me about this prophet Isaiah. Who was this guy anyway? And people have this ability, and whether they mean to or not, just to try to get us off of the subject and onto the pain of this world or other kind of rabbit trails. But Jesus is truly the only issue that matters. That what do you do with the, with the reality of Jesus? What do you say about who Jesus is and what he did? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life, that he died for us, and that he rose again, defeating sin and death on our behalf? What do you do with that? And so it's easy to get off track, but this is the centrality, central point of the message. And he's really the only answer to the pain of this world. Philip, he, he didn't give the Ethiopian a crash course in Old Testament theology. He didn't give him a background on Isaiah's life. 
He didn't get into issues of, okay, well, have you heard about these different theories? You know, some suggest Deutero, Isaiah, and Trito, Isaiah. He didn't get into all that. He just said, hey, let me preach Jesus to you. Let me take you to who Jesus is. And he made sure that this man knew Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. And then he made it clear as he's talking to him, at some point he's also discipling him and he's teaching him that, hey, now that you're saved, the next step is baptism. That now you need this outward demonstration of this inward change that's already taken place. And so he's teaching the Ethiopian this. And as they're driving along, riding along in their chariot, the Ethiopian sees the water. And he says, hey, what's stopping me from getting baptized right now? Philip says, nothing, you're already saved, let's go get you baptized. And so they go, and he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water, and then you get this crazy, like, teleportation thing going on, it seems like. Philip is just, like, transported out of there by the Holy Spirit, and he ends up in Azotus, right? And the Ethiopian, he never saw him again. It's, it's, uh, it's a crazy thing. But this is how God was working in the life of Philip. Do you notice this, that he started him in Jerusalem, then he moves him into Samaria, and then he takes him to this desert road, and then he transports him to Azotus, and then from Azotus he takes him to Caesarea, that he's moving Philip along. I mean, Philip never had a life in any kind of a comfort zone. His comfort zone was just sharing the gospel with people. It, it, it had to have been that he had to have developed that because God was constantly moving him, moving him from comfort zone to comfort zone, just out of it. God scatters his church to keep us dependent upon him and so that we can just carry on the mission that he's given us. You know, there's that old rhyme that we learned as kids that, you know how it goes, right, that, that here is the church and here is the steeple and you open doors and you see all the people. You remember that one. But the rhyme doesn't get the ending because here's what God does to the church. He takes the people and he scatters them out throughout the week. He says, go share the gospel. This is the mission that you're on. And then, hey, don't give up meeting together. Gather back together. Be the people so that you can encourage one another in these days. It's so important because it's only through the church that any kind of eternal impact will ever take place. If you find yourself outside of your comfort zone this week, rejoice. Because God has made his church to live lives outside of our comfort zones as we share God's glorious gospel. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is that you would choose to use us, your church, to share your gospel. God, we thank you for faithful men like Stephen, like Philip, who wherever they were scattered to, they just shared your gospel God, help us, help us to do the same in, in this generation which you've called us to live. What a privilege it is to live in this generation, to share your gospel with our culture today. Help us to be effective in that. We understand that the only way that we will have any type of effectiveness at all is if we are relied solely upon your Holy Spirit. So God, we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love.